Welcome to the Bunker Hill Cheesecast, brought to you by Heine's Cheese Chalet, a little place with big taste. I'm Missy Horsefall, Director of Tourism Relations. Holmes County, Ohio, and the adjoining counties around it have the largest Amish population in the U.S. It runs a close race with Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and northeastern Indiana. Our area has a diverse settlement of Amish with many church districts and affiliations, including New Order Amish, Old Order Amish, Dan Church Amish, Swartz and Truber Amish, Beachy Amish, and several others. The Amish are a Protestant religious group that dates back to the 1500s and the Anabaptist movement in Europe, emerging in Zurich, Switzerland. The Anabaptist movement was a religious reform movement which took place against the backdrop of the Protestant Reformation and eventually birthed the Amish over 150 years after it began. A key point of dispute for the early leaders of this movement was the issue of infant baptism. Since members of the movement re-baptized themselves, they earned the derogatory name Anabaptists. Anabaptists were persecuted and martyred for their beliefs. Jacob Amon was an Anabaptist leader who took a harder line on religious practices than his brethren. Amon preached a stronger interpretation of the doctrine of social shunning, among other issues. Disagreement led to a split in 1693 with the followers of Ammon becoming known as Amish. Persecution soon followed and the Amish largely came to America in two main waves of immigration, one taking place in the mid-1700s and a second, larger group from the early to mid-1800s. Amish in the first wave settled in eastern Pennsylvania, while immigrants in the second wave mainly landed in the Midwest, Ontario, and New York State. The early settlers of Holmes County, Ohio, were from Germany and Switzerland and came with the first wave to Pennsylvania, eventually migrating to Ohio and establishing their first church in 1820 near Berlin. Almost all Amish use horse and buggy transportation and speak a form of German known as Pennsylvania Dutch dialect in church services and in their home. Most still earn their living through agriculture, and most Amish refuse to use any modern-day conveniences such as automobiles, electricity, and phones. They dress conservatively and plainly. Most use hooks and eyes on their clothing instead of buttons, a more modern invention. Each community is governed by an ordnung, or rules of behavior, that sets the standards for dress, use of technologies, public behavior, allowable occupations, etc., and there is a great diversity in these rules across communities. Three common core values that are the foundation of the Amish community are faith, family, and community. Their plain style of living reflects their desire to preserve these values. My guest today is Heine's Cheese Chalet's head cheesemaker, Wayne Keim, whose family traces their roots back to the early Amish settlers in the area. Wayne's family also has some deep roots here at Bunker Hill Cheese. Wayne, welcome. Hey, how's it going? Great. It's good to have you here. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast is because, uh, first of all, you're our head cheesemaker, so you have lots of interesting uh, information to give our listeners, but also because of your family's connection to Bunker Hill Cheese and Heine's Cheese Chalet retail store. That And that connection goes way back, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Uh, my grandpa, I'm actually the third generation that's working here. Uh, my grandpa, my dad, my dad was here for 17 years, and I'm going on 23 years now myself. That's crazy. And I know your brother was here for a long time. 
also aunts, uncles, you name it. The Kime family is very much connected to Bunker Hill cheese. Yes, I had uh, three sisters and uh, two brothers, and at one time they all worked here. That is crazy. Now, tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, Wayne. Where did you grow up? Well, actually, I grew up right beside the cheese house here, and uh, when I was about seven, eight years old, I used to come down here, help uh, Katie, uh, my aunt, uh, bag candies and stuff. Oh, wow. And I thought I was in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bagging candy, I guess yeah, you bagging, would. <laughs> little kid bagging candies. That's a pretty, I'm sure maybe you got one or two through the course of the time you worked here, got a taste yeah. of it. Yeah, I sure did. Yeah, that is awesome. Well, I can remember talking to your brother, Leroy. He came when he was young and, and did the grunt work, run for this, run for that little gopher, uh, helping your dad out. And then eventually he also became the head cheesemaker. You know, one of the questions I have asked people uh, about their personal connection to the Amish community, and for you, you're part of the Amish community and have been all your life. Yes. You know, I, I think... One of the things I really want our listeners to understand is the partnership of, of Bunker Hill Cheese as a company, as a family-owned company, their partnership with the community around them. And that includes many of the Amish that live around, like you did, growing up next to the Cheese House, the farmers that have produced milk for us and brought to the Cheese House over the years. And one of the things I love about that is, is this generational connection, which I think is so cool. And I've never worked anywhere where I've seen that before. There are a lot of family businesses and they're wonderful, but there's something unique about a business that has, you know, generational ownership and then generational employees as, as well. And I think your family probably highlights that the most of any that I've seen. And so when we talk about Bunker Hill Cheese, I mean, your whole family has invested, you know, if we added it up, I'm sure it's probably a couple hundred years. Probably, yeah. I mean, the number of years you've worked, your brother, your dad, your aunt, uh, it it definitely adds up. And your aunt is still working here. I think she is our, our longest term employee at this point. And you you might be number two. And then your other brother might be number three. So the Kime family has a long history going back generations, as you've talked about. I love the fact that you talk about your first job here. Can you kind of run through for me, like, what, what else have you done? Like, what, what have you done through the years in the company? Yeah, uh, well, when I started here, I was probably actually still uh, during the summer uh, when I, I was not going to school. I helped bag ball foods and stuff like that. Then when I graduate uh, from school, then I started packing. Then I worked myself way up and, you know, hooping and then assistant cheese maker. And now I'm trying to uh, make cheese right now. Doing cheese. And I appreciate your time stepping in from the manufacturing plant to come and talk on the podcast with us. The cheese making, and obviously it's it's a learned process. I've talked before about how the, the cheese making process was brought over from Switzerland and the family connection there, but this is something that's just been handed down, and especially to you, you work almost like an internship or an artisan internship where you learn from uh, from doing and from those who were, like, for instance, as your brother was head cheesemaker and you assisted him, he taught you what he knew and you've continued to learn and grow. Uh, how many cheeses would you say we make at this time? I think right now it's about 27, 28 different kinds of cheese we make right now. Yeah, and we, over the course of years, have made, uh, you know, I don't know, 
85 to who knows how many varieties we've made. And some of them have lasted and some of them have been here for a season. So what's the favorite right now? What's the big seller? The big seller right now is uh, Gouda. Gouda cheese is our number one seller. And then Lacey, Lacey Baby. Baby Swiss. That's with the smaller holes and it's not quite as uh, right. uh, strong a flavor. It's a, it's a more mild Swiss, which I love. I, Swiss cheese is not my favorite. It's my husband's. He loves a good sharp Swiss. And I really like the Lacey Baby. How much cheese would you say we make in a week? Like how much milk do we use and how many pounds of cheese does that make? Right now we're making about 27 vats a week and right now we're getting a probably close to 120,000 pounds of milk a day. Wow. It it takes about 10 pounds of milk to make one pound of cheese. 10 pounds of milk to make one pound of cheese. That is a lot of milk. And while we still use local farms, they no longer bring it to the factory in milk cans. I've been here uh, 12 years. And it was only, I think it was about 2018 when we quit doing that. Uh, 2015. 15. Oh, wow. See, I, I was wrong. It seems like to me, that's always in my head that that's the way it was done because it was done for so long. It was kind of cool to see that and watch that process. Now the milk is the same milk, but it's a little different process being brought in. Now when they brought in with the milk cans and the farmers brought their each of the farmers had so many milk cans, they brought in what milk they had. And when they dumped it, tell me a little bit about the process and the difference now between that and saying having it brought in by bulk. Well, one thing now, we benefit from bulk milk right now. It comes in at 38 degrees all the time, which canned milk, they didn't have cooling on their trucks. So right. during the hot summer months, you know, the milk came in a little warm and, you know, we had to make some adjustments. It's it's very easy now. We got good milk uh, to work with, and you know, canned milk was good too. Yeah, know. but it took a little bit uh, more careful watch over that because of the temperature and the changes and all of that as right. well. I, I always found it kind of fascinating and a little heartbreaking if a farmer had, a, you know, if they dumped milk and it wasn't good for whatever reason, we lost the whole load and they lost their whole load. So that made it difficult as well. I'm curious, Wayne, what would you say is the most uh, critical part of making cheese? Well, the most critical part, uh, you know, you got to have good milk and which all the testing that we, the state requires us to do. I mean, we, we usually get uh, milk, uh, good milk all the time. The key thing is have good milk. And if you got good milk, then er uh, everything else is very easy. Uh, you know, the critical part is your set. You know, when you pump milk in the vat and everything going good and uh, good set and your temperature and your pH, you know, you kind of go with um, your pH and if if you got good milk, then everything seems to fall into place. Yeah. Now, what do you mean, for our listeners' sake, what do you mean by a good set? A good set is when you put the rennet in and you stir it in for about four minutes and it gets thick like yogurt. So if it gets thick in 30 minutes, that's your goal. But, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, years ago when you had bad milk, it would set up maybe in 15 minutes. Gotcha. And, you know, and then you got so much against you, you know, you got to yeah. make some adjustments. But, uh, yeah, uh, that's probably the most critical because if you cook too high, you get too low moisture, mm -hmm. you, you know, so. Now, in years past, of course, when they originally 
the small cheese houses started out, and we did too, with copper kettles and like smaller batches. We now use vats. How big are those vats, Wayne? Uh, right now we got, uh, the biggest one we have holds 23,000 pounds of milk, and the smallest one we have holds 16,000 pounds of milk. Wow. And so how do you choose each day, basically, what kind of cheese to make? Um, do you just wake up one morning and say, oh, I feel like making yogurt cheese. <laughs> well, you kind of go by the orders that, that come in and uh, then the, the amount of milk you look, the, the amount of milk came in the day before, then you decide which vat to use and um, and go from there. Yeah. There's a couple of kinds of cheese that we make that I want to talk about. Uh, the first is our hot pepper cheese because we make some really, I don't like it, so I'm I haven't even dared to taste it. I don't like hot things. But the people who like hot cheese, and I've sampled it with people, and if you like hot cheese, then they like our Scorpion, North Carolina Reaper, and what's the other one? Ghost. Ghost pepper. That is correct. And those are some of the hottest peppers out there right now. I mean, they're always getting a hotter pepper, so who knows what what will come in the future. But using those peppers, it it amuses me sometimes because I know when you're making those hot cheeses, you know how I know? How's that? When I go out there, you guys look like aliens in gas masks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think you can smell those a little bit too. Onion cheese you can smell throughout the factory. But yeah, you have to wear the, the breathing masks and you've got all kinds of protection on you. Yeah, it's, it's a very hot pepper. And I actually wear a full body suit. Uh, when you put the peppers on, you define dust that comes up. Ah. If, if it gets on your skin, you'll definitely feel it. Yeah, I've I've seen a couple of guys come out of the 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 cheese making room and they are like, you know, really on fire scratching themselves like, man, that's so and their eyes are watering and uh but it makes good cheese, so we're thankful for that. Yes. And we're glad that you guys are willing to put hazmat suits on and go in and uh risk the hot pepper. It's a mix, it's a powder. It's from real peppers, but it's a powder that you yes. add to the cheese. Yes, right. The other kind of cheese that I wanted to talk about, um, because people are really interested in it and don't know a lot about it, and that is raw milk cheese. What is it? What And what is our process? How is it stored and tested? Well, the raw milk, uh, it's not pasteurized. It's heat treated up to 144. Legally, uh, pasteurization is 160, 1.9. And so we... 15 seconds, we hold it for 15 seconds, and then legally we, we cannot sell that as pasteurized cheese, so we got to call it raw, and and it and I think it definitely tastes better. It's it, And a lot of people are kind of catching on to that idea, and it's becoming, I think, more and more popular. Would you say that to be true in what's yes. selling now? Yes, um, So the difference in the flavor, what, what what's the difference in the flavor for you? Well, I think it's a little bit more creamy, uh, especially our raw milk cheddar. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's probably our number three seller right now. Okay. You know, we've always focused on cheese being good for you. So looking for things that we can offer people, uh, for instance, if they're lactose intolerant, the yogurt cheese that Pete Dawalder came up with in the 60s, uh, and now it's other cheese houses are it's very popular cheese, but we've been making it a long time because of the good, the good for you aspect of it, the probiotics. Also, um, it's it's good for people who may have some issues with lactose. Isn't that true? Yes, yes, that's true. So, the idea of finding a cheese that everyone can enjoy, I, I love that about that. And there's also a new kind of milk that we've been using, uh, the A2 milk 
which is it's kind of interesting to me because you think, how can you have a different kind of milk? Are they, aren't they the same cows? And what, what's the deal with that? Yes, and uh, A2 milk, uh, that's a very u- unique milk right there. Very healthy for you. And, and it's easier on your indigestions, and it's it's very good milk to work with. Yes, it's pretty well the same milk. The cows are fed differently, uh, and it's it's very nice to work with. It's same, you know, uh, as your other milk, basically. Uh, it's So it's very healthy for you, too, also, uh, which benefits, uh, benefits you. You know, and I'm kind of curious. We've talked about a number of different kinds of cheeses, but what's your favorite kind? Well, my favorite kind is the hot pepper yogurt cheese. Oh, really? Yes. Now, hot pepper yogurt, I, I can eat that one. I can't eat the the scorpion and all of those, the ghost pepper and the North Carolina Reaper. Those are way too hot. But the yogurt, for some somehow, something about that, that it's more of a flavor than a, than the heat in that. Right. It's, it's a little milder and a little creamier. Yeah. Yeah, it's great for cooking, too. That's, yes. That's the cool thing about the yogurt cheeses. You know, I'm curious, too, about how many uh, the changes that you've seen in the cheese-making process. You know, you started young. You've been in the company forever. When you started making cheese, were they making it in the big fats, or did yes. you see it make, made in the copper kettles? No, no, that was before my time. Okay, well, I, I wasn't trying to imply that you're old or anything, <laughs> Wade. Just check it out. So, uh, but I'm sure your, da- your dad and your, your certainly your grandfather saw that in the old copper kettles and all of that. Sure. So what's your favorite Part of the cheese making process. Well, the favorite uh, part is uh, when you put the milk, you put the rennet in. You see, you see the milk change into the cheese, and you know I really like that. You know, and uh, and then when it when you take it out and put it in hoops, then you know, then if if you all your numbers are good, then you know that's very exciting. There's some. Real satisfaction in knowing you've made some good cheese there. Yes, yeah. Yes. And every day there's a new challenge. I mean, it's it's right. it's a process, but there's also a little bit of artisan craftsmanship in that, I would say. Do you do it by feel in on some ways? I mean, I know there's a formula for how you make it, but if there's a problem, you certainly have to know how to go back and try to figure out not only what the problem is, but how to make it better, how to make sure the end result is good cheese. So... Yes, yeah, and yeah, you kind of go by the feel, you know, for an instant, like uh, if you feel you got too much moisture, you know, you try, you know, to stir out a little longer, try to, you know, yeah. get the acid moving, and, you know, your moisture and your acid go in hand-to-hand hand together, so, you know, if you l- let your acid go up higher, your moisture goes out. Yeah, so there's a ton of things I'm sure you're looking for each and every day as you make those cheeses. We have viewing windows for our customers and the people that come to see us. And it's really fascinating to watch that process. And you, you start really early in the morning, right? I mean, yes, you guys yes. are here way before I'm here, before <laughs> I'd want to be here. Uh, so by the time I get here, you can see the milk stirring and you can actually see it start changing in that, that set that you talked about. If you stood long enough at the window, you could see it. And the process, a lot of times there's more than one cheese being made, so the process is different at each of the vats. So I I do want to mention the hoops you mentioned, because you mentioned being a hooper, and you mentioned putting the cheese in a hoop. What's a hoop? A hoop is what we call a 40-pound block. Uh, The cheese goes through a curd elevator into the 40-pound block. Then after those are filled, they uh, they get stacked and pressed. 
uh, with 30 pounds of pressure to start, then you gradually move it up to 70. Yeah, so so the Kurds, you see the Kurds, and it's really fun to watch if you happen to be here at the time when they're actually moving it up the elevator into the, the hoops, then that's a big cart with these 40-pound block forms or hoops. And then when you move it to the press, I mean, what you are doing is you're squeezing the way out of that, right? Right. Yeah. And yes. how, about how much how much weight comes out of that? Sometimes I see that and I think, wow, where did all that come from? You know, it's it's quite a bit uh, weight that comes out. Yeah. You know, it looks like popcorn when you put it in, but when the next morning you take it out, it's uh, one solid piece of cheese. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's, of course, goes through processing and, and packaging and all of that and and from there, it's cut up into whatever else, uh, cracker cuts or however else they're going to uh, to package that. So seeing it from beginning to end, I'm sure, is very satisfying for you as the cheesemaker. And especially when you hear back, oh, that cheese was so good. Or you, perhaps you get a chance to sa- sample it and taste it and go, that was a good batch. Well, Wayne, thank you so much for taking time from your busy. I know you're so busy making cheese. We've got so much milk coming in right now. I really appreciate it, and I know our listeners do too, because there there's a lot of questions and curiosity about how we make our cheese. So, thank you very much. Thank you. And now it's time for Did You Know? Did you know that cheese is best eaten at room temperature? This helps the fat in the cheese loosen up and gives it a better flavor and texture. If it's too cold, you miss out on the full flavor, and if it's too warm, you might compromise the texture. By taking the cheese out of the refrigerator one hour before serving it or using it, you give it the optimum opportunity for best quality and taste. There will unlikely be food safety concerns, but to sustain the quality of the cheese, remember to refrigerate it after several hours. You can also freeze your cheese. Make sure it is tightly wrapped for the freezer and it will last for up to six months. When you're ready to eat it, put it in the refrigerator for about a day to thaw it Then let it warm to room temperature. This will keep the cheese from crumbling. And now you know. 